1: When it comes to your investments and retirement in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 the answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBT Wealth Management.
2: Good morning everybody. We have another one of those beautiful Ohio days that uh, we get 20 of those, those days a year and I think I work on all 20 of them. <laughs> Beautiful day, no humidity, that type of thing. Anyway, let's start positive. It is impossible for a man to be cheated by anyone but himself. That was Ralph, Ralph Waldo Ederson. And I'm going to repeat one I said last week. This is for Bill Gates. Headlines, in a way, are what mislead you because bad news is a headline and gradual improvement is not. Just remember that. And we always uh, remember to go to our, uh, our webpage. And, uh, that is, you can just Google or Bing, uh, Tim Hayes or, or, uh, Tim Hayes radio. And, uh, you get, uh, uh, my, you get a picture of me <laughs> and then it says below it, uh, you know, buy low, sell high. And there's a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, there's, uh, all, all sorts of, uh, information like Bob Dickey's, uh, technical analysis every day. We have our, 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 uh, Weekly market uh, roundup, which is usually really pretty good information. You know, it's amazing how many people don't know what's going on, and and it kind of scares me a little bit. But uh, <laughs> it's just amazing how much they they don't they're not paying attention. Also, a bunch of stuff on cybersecurity. I highly recommend that. In data breaches, we have a new newsletter out for August. It's uh, market strategies, three ways to play defense. You know, we talked uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, or three weeks ago, we said, hey, you know, we're at a point where I think maybe we could pull back and uh we came back in a hurry. So uh there we go. Also some things you can call in for, you know, you, uh, my phone number is on that page and you or you can just email me. It says contact me, email me, that type of thing. Rewriting Retirement, it's one of the best pieces I think we've ever put out. It just says, "Hey, uh, you know, retirement's different these days, okay? Some people work, some people enjoy themselves, it doesn't matter. But retirement's a little bit different." Also the Sevi investors credit workbook look you got to know both sides of the balance sheet you got to know the equity part of your portfolio and you got to go to the debit part of your portfolio and uh you know one of the things that we do is uh you know uh, give credit lines and look i I think once you know how much you can borrow uh you know you can optimize your cash flow you can uh, see some timely investment opportunities that you wouldn't be able to You, you can fund real estate purchases fund business investments refinance high interest debt, you can fund major purchases, you can manage unexpected expenses, and you can finance an education like that. So there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, plus we had a healthcare conference and nobody's called in for this, so I know uh, I think two people have. And usually, you know, we've get about 25-30 people and uh the healthcare conference both one day both days were phenomenal stuff. Healthcare is cheap. And I'm ta- I'm not just talking about drugs and biotechnology, I'm talking about healthcare, okay? So no matter look, uh they can't cut off all healthcare, And what they're looking at is at drug prices because they're the most, you know, they're, they're the 10 pin at the alley. OK, uh, but there are other things that they can do, you know, but we have our best ideas, our uh, dividend growth portfolio, uh, our newsletter for that matter. Uh, so there you go. And, and you can always uh, check up with me on LinkedIn, too. Don't forget that. You know, millennials paid the highest rent when entering the workforce, with with a 2017 average of 1,358 dollars. Uh, the Gen Xers paid just 850 in today's dollars uh, per rent, and the the Silent Generation paid under 500. Uh, more than three million Americans, ages 60 and older, owe more than 86 billion in unpaid student loans. Uh, that's why it's such a political, uh, you know, ba- uh, football. You know what I mean? Esports, the term used for competitive gaming, while uh, a long a major mainstream sport in China and Korea, has recently become more popular in the U.S. You know, notice a young man, just bought won three million dollars here just recently, uh, winning a, a big contest. So um, they are crazy about it. Uh, I don't, I don't get it, but that's okay. Look, um, I had some people come into my office. Uh, no, actually, I, I was, I was out to having coffee with them, and they said. Uh, you know Tim we're we're looking at social security what should we be thinking about and you know they probably wanted me to hear about retirement benefits and spousal and ex-spousal benefits and all that stuff but I asked them some questions and I'll ask you these questions also and you might want to write these down what is your expected longevity do you have any idea have you talked to a doctor are you married if so what's the age difference between you and your spouse are you divorced if so, did any of your spouses' previous marriages last less than ten years? Are you going to continue working? Are there any children who are minors who are disabled? Uh, are there any dependent parents who might outlive the individual? Is the individual uh, or her spouse or his spouse eligible for a government pension? Those things are really big determinants for for social security. So uh, it's, there's things you can do. And, you know, look, uh, if we looked at annual social security statements, you know, which you can get electronically, by the way, by going to www.ssa.gov. So they're now being mailed to workers beginning at age 25, 35. You should see that because, you know, it says something there. It, It says the government will run out of money basically on it. So that's the first thing, but it'll give you a good idea where you're, where you are. And based on the highest 35 years of indexed earnings, workers uh, working a few extra years can increase your benefits pretty drastically. You need 40 credits, that's 10 years, to qualify for benefits, just so you know, and earn a, ma- a maximum of four credits per year. And workers taxed on earnings at 6.2%, earnings above 128000 are not subject to Social Security tax. <laughs> that's nice of them. But anyway, there's a lot more to it, and I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, but those are the questions I always ask, because... Those are the questions uh, you need to know that's what it comes down to look u s uh, equity prices uh, to earning multiples are higher than the historically uh, historic average. however, if you take an examination of the changing nature of the business model suggest that the valuations may be more attractive than they appear p e re- multiples for u s equities uh, are high, but free cash flow multiples are actually lower than they've been historically you know. And I guess my question is, how is that possible? And as the economy has changed over the years, so too have business models. Uh, new knowledge-based businesses are able to convert more of their net income to cash, and that's something you've got to remember. And I think the other thing is that investment in, is recorded on the income statement rather than the cash flow statement, okay? Uh, the software industry, for example, has cash flow free margins that are uh, several hundred basis points or several a couple hundred basis uh, percentage points higher than its net income. Uh, by contrast, the uh, machinery industry has a lower free cash flow at, uh, margins at the, you know uh, compared to a, its net income margins. Okay, so uh, investors should be pretty careful not to simply compare valuation multiples across history, given the changing face of the U.S. economy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So, you know, uh, the fact that they're going up is is not a big deal. Um, you just got to make sure that you're paying attention. So I, I was looking at a few things and and. Uh, you know, the outperformance of growth versus value has really reached epic proportions, and it's back higher than it was in June 2000. And if you look at the forward PE spread, value versus the market, uh, value is like way out to lunch is what it comes down to. So, look, what we have is the, an economic expansion, which is the longest, but it's the weakest in history. And mostly because, you know, we had a major catastrophe back in 2007-2008 called the financial crisis. But also, it's the amount of debt the government put on in the last 8-10 years. Uh, but, you know, I I personally, you know, and I'm not an economist, although I, I have a degree in economics. I, I don't see the inevit- in, in, inevitable uh, recession on the near-term horizon. That's, you know, the numbers I'm looking at. So, uh, but it it's interesting to see this difference uh you know you know in value versus growth it's it's just huge and uh i i think that uh, people are going to understand that and uh, uh well we'll leave it at that okay anyway look i i've seen a massive shift in the composition of a couple of the etfs most notably the agg sub bond fund um uh, and, and what they've done is they, they were back in 2008, they were 22% treasuries. They're now 36% treasuries. They were securitized asset backs were 45%. Now they're 31. Corporates were 20. Now they're 25. Uh, so it, you got a, a very fast changing nature of fixed income that we've discussed several times. Uh, it, it contributes to what we call the bums problem. And as you know, as with the equity indexes, many fixed income indices are essentially market cap weighted. And in the uh, equity ma- uh, market uh, weighting means that most historically successful companies become the most value, uh, heavily va- uh, weighted. I'm sorry. In the cap weighted in, uh, fixed income index, however, the most heavily weighted equities are those that have listed the most debt. All right. So it, it becomes uh, you know, that's why they call them bums. Right. But six, you know, fixed income, uh, indices can become risky at probably the worst time. And I, I'm just saying this, you know, you're probably aware that we've been in an ultra low investment rate environment for the past many years. And by the way, I've been saying that for a long, long time. I say we're going to be lower for longer for a long, long time. Uh, the trend has only recently begun to change, but, but among the results of these historically low yields, uh, maybe also that the bond market itself has become more risky. So, and by the way, you know, when I say bond market, I'm talking about CDs, I'm talking about municipals, I'm talking about everything. So that's why I said you got to buy yield when it's up. You know, don't go chasing yield now, okay? Uh, unless you're trying to redo your mortgage, <laughs> then you should. But are ETFs and passive investing the best solution for fixed income exposure is, I guess, my big question. And two of the main reasons cited for the growth of ETFs, which largely track passive indexes over actively managed funds are cost and performance. However, you know, those arguments uh, for the virtues of passive, uh, passive investing is usually something akin to less than X's or stock pickers and have outperformed the S&P, blah, blah, blah. But the key here is uh, based, you know, on some of the difficulties we've seen in the bond market. Uh, I, I don't know if passive investing is the way to go at this point, but you know, We'll just uh, leave it at that. Um, I did notice that technology still leads the group, although uh, the the direction has been faltering a little bit. Uh, anything growth is, is kicking rear end, and uh, so is an uh, S&P 500. Precious metals has one of the best directional moves I've seen, and we've talked about that for some time now, and I've, I sent the email out to everybody who was on my list. Utilities. And, and real estate investment trusts have lost steam. They're still in the top 10, but they've lost steam. And we've been talking about that for some time, too. So as a matter of fact, real estate on the Dorsey Wright system broke below uh, 3%. Uh, uh, and that's not good. And they also broke below zero on the overbought, oversold area. So they're getting more oversold. And it'll be interesting to see if they continue because... You know, we're now at 1.86 on the 10-year. So uh, we we didn't hold is what it came down to. What was really interesting this week, I think, is that the dollar rallied and interest rates went down. And with that dollar rally, oil got crushed on Thursday. It was down $4. And that's getting crushed in my eyes, okay? So the point is uh, you want to be careful. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. I started out for the abrupt ending there, but um, time was up for the, for the session there. Uh, once again, um, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And look, I want to talk about uh, one group that I've been kind of pounding the table on. And uh, I think it merits some really interesting uh, thought. And that is uh, there's a trend started and it just started, and it may be a big trend, and that is one is silver and the other is gold. And, you know, one of the bright spots in the commodity asset class, as well as the broader market this year, has been precious metals. Uh, as you recall, we, you know, we talked about this several weeks ago, and uh, about a month and a half ago, I sent a chart out to everybody, and, um, you know, it, it got overbought very, very quick, and I was waiting for a correction, and we had a big correction, but I'll, I want to talk about that in a second. But What's driving precious metal returns? And listen, recent market commentary around the world says that macro drivers of, of gold prices, the explanation of rising in gold can be traced to China and Russia, according to uh, market watch. Some of America's biggest geopolitical rivals were stockpiling gold. The bank of China recently revealed to hiking its gold reserves by 74 tons in just six months. The Russian central banks have bought 96 tons. Um, Forbes had a really good article, and it said gold prices, 50-year price analysis and production demand dynamics. A bullish case for gold can be made. Higher retail institutional investment increasing gold by the major central banks all over the world. Uh, Gold bugs would like to say there are a number of potential catalysts, and I don't either agree or disagree with them. But there is an interesting chart that shows that demand for gold can be somewhat linked to negative yields. And in the Financial Times, uh, they highlighted a chart and it just showed that, uh, a surge in negative yielding debt is making gold more attractive. Look, why do you want to, you know, if you're in Germany, why do you want to pay the government a quarter of a point to, to take their debt on? <laughs> you want them to pay you, right? So people are stepping away from, from, uh, you know, uh, the, the negative yielding bonds. And there's four countries now that have negative yielding bonds. So, there's, there's obviously some technical evidence. I showed you the chart from Bob Dickey if you were in my, my mailing list. And by the way, if you want to get on that, just go to my webpage, and it's uh, Tim Hayes Radio, Google or Bing it. I show up, and you can always tell it's me because it says buy low, sell high. But the technical evidence is getting bet, uh, better. So over the past couple of months, we've observed some really important developments taking place within the precious metal space. And you know, back in June, we noted the important move on the gold continuous chart when it broke above... 1370 to 1390, a level that had not been seen since I think it was March of 2014 or 13. I can't remember. It's since risen to 1420. And and it got overbought very, very quick. It was 120% overbought. So there was a noteworthy change in the Invesco commodity model uh, a few weeks ago that rotated out of uh, the commodity index ETF into the Vesco gold bond index. So that's that's even more important. And then with Precious metals, back in the spotlight, we looked at the relative strength relationship between gold, silver, and uh, interestingly enough, gold had been on a buy signal versus its precious metal uh, counterpart for about a year, and it's still that way. Uh, It looks like it's, although silver is picking up uh, relative strength against the market. On a longer-term relative strength basis, precious metals moved up to the first place position in early January, and we said that on the show, by the way. And finally, we looked at the precious metal sector relative to the rest of the fund universe, and and I found out that the precious metal fund group has risen to eighth place in the asset classes. So good technical evidence. Now, look uh, if we look at uh, all the different ETFs out there, Russia was first, technology was first, a second U.S. mid cap growth, U.S. large cap growth, aggressive growth, all sector all sector growth growth been running the show and the S&P 500 indexes, and then precious metals, then utilities. But remember, we said utilities were up but losing relative strength. So precious metals are turning and gaining relative strength. So that's that's interesting. Then I looked at a whole bunch of ETFs, and uh, look, there's a couple that have really, really uh, good-looking charts and very, very high fund scores. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. You have to call me, but I, I like them and uh, – it, it's you know by the way there, the silver trust are, are not gaining there's only one silver trust that's gaining you know above three on the dorsey wright system so that's that's kind of interesting but look it, in addition to showing strength in the dynamic asset level investing uh the precious metal sector has also demonstrated improvement in in favored sector spra- uh, spectrum and it became a favored sector two weeks ago so you know they, we, we the uh, Dorsey Wright follows 40 sectors, so uh, there's only six sectors that are positive right now. So that gives you an idea uh, what we're seeing. And I've seen some of the major in ETFs gain really good, consistent improvement. Remember what Bill Gates said. They don't talk about just consistent improvement, they just, you know, they want to talk about the high flyers or the bad news. But uh, look, I, I've seen several of the ETFs break out of. Uh, a pretty big base and continue on. So that's something you want to uh, take a look at. And I, 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 I've seen it in the junior and the the junior gold miners and also uh, the big gold miners. So just something to think about. So I had a question from uh, Ed and Ed asked me, Tim, what's the difference between low volatility and low beta? The low volatility factor has garnered a lot of attention uh, in the recent years. The factor seeks exposure in positions that exhibit, as the name suggests, low volatility relatives that appear indexed, const, uh, constitutes. Okay, Low volatility is often mistaken for low beta. Although the groups share similar characteristics, they, uh, they are a few key differences that are worth noting in order to better understand potential uh, allocations and the portfolio behavior. A low beta focus, which considers the correlation of an asset to the market as well as its relative volatility, may result in owning a position that has a low correlation to the market as well as a slightly higher volatility. And now, if I put that simply, low beta seeks to capture smaller movements relative to the benchmark, but does not always result in less variance of price movement. Okay? Low volatility exposure does not inherently consider correlation, although uh many low volatility positions also exhibit low beta all right so uh just so everybody knows by the way if you add those two together it's you see some really interesting stuff <laughs> i did notice that the the percent positive trend for the new york stock exchange broke a, broke or hit 50 and that's that's a big positive uh so you know right now we have 42% of all the stocks uh Trading above their bullish support line and and it's, it's sitting they, they, the the uh, positive trend is sitting at forty nine point six six or fifty on its chart because it it hit it so we we typically see healthy markets when the indicator is above fifty uh, so we're we're close but we're not there yet um, uh, we still we we'll still only have six sectors that are positive so it, it's it's kind of an interesting time. Uh, I did look at a lot of stocks that were right at their bearish resistance line that would, if they broke out, would be very, very positive. Uh, there's a whole list of them, and um, they would become number fives instead of number twos or threes. So, look, the Fed cuts uh, should, should boost equities. It didn't. The Fed cuts should lower the dollar. It didn't. It should, if you get a lower dollar, you should have gold go up and you should have oil go up. Oil goes down four bucks. Gold got hammered, although gold turned around fairly quickly. Uh, the strong US dollar has been a headwind for the earnings per share in US stocks since 2018. And the Fed, uh, should cut, uh, I mean, the Fed should cut again, I, I think, my, my opinion, but it should support a weaker dollar, but it, it, it didn't happen this week. So, there is a materially less market liquidity right this moment the uh, depth in in uh, I I think that uh, you know when you have less liquidity the chances for uh, a, a rally uh, are less because people are willing to sell so look the, the longer term cycle indicators continued to build positively we were overbought the fact that we we're going to sell off we did see quite a bit of a move between cyclicals and defensive rotation uh, and I I'd probably start to accumulate some of the more cyclicals on a on a pullback. The ten year Treasury uh has not found yield has not found a bottom yet. Remember the old low was one point three something and uh, we're at one point eight five now, so that's it's been a huge I mean, we're down fifty percent from the high a year ago, uh when we told you to buy the yield. So the financials were, were looking pretty good up until uh the Fed meeting. And then they got whacked. Um the you know the monthly quadrant balance indicator uh, which is uh it measures the percentage of stocks with rising monthly momentum uh was at about 60% so 61.4 to be exact so that's getting up pretty high 80 would be a you know peaking area so we we thought maybe there'd be a bit of of a pullback here the advanced to kind line is up but it's not it's not looking beautiful but it's still up there uh there's still a lot of stocks being left behind um but I am seeing uh, the the cycle parallel continue the four year cycle that we talked about all the time on the show, and I think we're going to have some more zigzag chop through quarter th- through the end of quarter three, and then I think quarter four could be uh, very very good, and and the first quarter of next year be very very good. Uh, but I am seeing you know if I if I take the cyclicals the Morgan Stanley cyclical index versus defense def- uh, defensive sector, it looks like we're about to turn up. Uh, you know. Or we're, we're about to <laughs> until Thursday and Friday, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. The, the 10-year bond yields are as oversold as I've ever seen them, and they keep getting more oversold. And the dollar, I think, broke uh, through to a, a new high, uh, which I wasn't expecting. I don't think anybody else was, and I, I'm still trying to figure out why. <laughs> but it did, and then it reversed the next day. Uh, actually, the day it broke out, it reversed very quickly on very high volume, so I guess uh, my question is is you know which way is it going and I'm I'm really not sure the reversal on high volume usually is negative so we'll just keep that on, on the go and 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 oil just broke down completely so it made a, actually a lower high so I don't think oil is going up anytime soon um, the financials were looking really really good until Thursday when yields broke below 1.9 and, and now they've pulled back remember it's the uh, The net interest, that's important for them, okay? Uh, But they do look good long-term, and the relative performance versus the uh, S&P 500 seems to be reversing the 2018-19 downtrend, so we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. The bank index uh, was looking especially good uh, on relative performance versus the rest of the S&P 500 sector. Versus the S&P 500, it's still not really breaking out, but the industrial sector, the only thing I'll say is that the relative performance is not that great Transports, uh, We'd like to see the relative performance pick up there. Uh, The trucking group still looks good. But uh, utilities, like I said, weekly momentum is turning over. They're at the top of their trend line, and the relative performance is breaking down. So you want to stay away from bond surrogates uh, coming up here somewhere. I don't know exactly when. Okay, this is the Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. You know, on Wednesday, the Fed announced a much-anticipated benchmark interest rate cut of 25 basis points, or a quarter percentage point, marking just the fifth time in the past 25 years that the central bank has switched from raising to lowering rates. Isn't that interesting? Just Just the fifth time. The most recent rate cut preceding today's announcement occurred on August 17th of 2017. And on that date, the S&P 500 closed at 1445.94. Apple was trading at a split-adjusted share price of 17, and Amazon was was hovering near 75 bucks. The 10-year index was at 10-year yield index was at 4.67, and oil closed around 72 dollars a barrel. Gold was traded at 667. So the last three recessions began shortly after a rate cut that followed a period of rate hikes. Time will tell if this trend repeats itself, we'll find out, but look, the market indicators include d- dynamic asset level investing and technical, uh, indicators are, you know, we, we just stay with what the market gives us and until we changes, we don't, we don't change. Okay. So we'll let you know on this show what the scoop is. If you're one of my clients, you'll probably know a couple of weeks ahead of time. <laughs> All right. So now we talk about the bullish percent and this is our main risk guide and, uh, we were actually up 0.3 when they when uh, uh, three tenths of a percent uh, when they delivered this Thursday and then we dropped uh, f- you know 500 points so we'll, uh, we'll see but I don't think it was enough to turn it down yet anyway uh, uh, time will tell but we're still in the column of X's as far as I know as of Friday uh, same with the over the counter index uh, the world index is still in the column of O's so you want to be careful there and uh, look. Whether it's a scary headline on the cover of the Wall Street Journal or the, net fat, the next fat finger tw- tweet on Twitter, um, there's tons of potential noise pollution out there that could affect your investment decision process. Then this noise could make it difficult to stay disciplined as well as make sure one is headed in the right direction. So the reason we use Dorsey Wright is when everybody else is saying bye-bye-bye, it might be time to go bye-bye. Okay. And when everybody's telling to sell, 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 it might be time to buy. So when you start to navigate the broad market landscape, we use dynamic asset level investing that our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with. Uh, it's a tactical asset tool that allows us to you know figure out what's going on. So let's take a look at that right now. What we do is we take a relative strength uh, re- a tally. So we, we have votes out there. The number one vote is the no- domestic equities. they have got 48 uh, votes International equities are second, although they're not really doing that great. 34 fixed income is third with 21. It's a big pickup by the way. Uh, And fixed income, as long as you're on the long end side, you're doing great. Commodities are number four at 18 votes. Uh, They're doing okay, especially if you're in gold. Currencies are 15. They're not doing so good. Cash has six. So if you review the macro landscape, you can continue down the path of allocation to evaluate sub-asset classes. So, the dynamic asset level investing uses the same methodology system to evaluate sub-asset classes, so you, you can take a look at those. And what I mean by that is, you know, do we go with equal weight or do we with capitalization weight on the S&P 500 index? You go with equal weight. Domestic equities, large cap, small cap, and mid cap growth are the top. At the bottom are large value, uh, small value, and mid cap value. It would be interesting to see if that turns. And then as far as groups are concerned, technology, industrials, utilities, Communication services and financials, energy, basic materials, and consumer non-cyclical are dead last. As far as international equities, uh, emerging Europe, uh, Asia-Pacific emerging are the top two. You know, Latin America is dead last, but I think if you take Latin America out and just put Brazil, Brazil's up there in the beginning. So in fixed income, it's U.S. corporate and high-yield debt, long-duration U.S. treasuries, dead last are short-duration U.S. treasuries. Commodities, precious metals by far has the lead. And then as far as currencies, it's the U.S. dollar. Like I said, it broke out when, you know, normally uh, when you cut interest rates, the dollar goes down, okay? When you cut your interest rates, usually, you know, you raise your interest rates to protect your currency. Uh, It doesn't always work, but uh, uh, there we go. So domestic equities still have the top votes, and they gained gained some more this last week. Uh, It'll be interesting to see uh, just a couple, like five or six. It'll be interesting to see uh, how long they maintain that. Uh, we had a brief uh, period of time back in uh, 2015 and 2016 where they they stepped aside. So we'll see if if it holds up here. But as of now, I I don't see us breaking down yet. So uh, you know we 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 have had a couple tough days, and I got a lot of phone calls, which is usually positive. I, I looked at all the indexes. Uh, the Dow, you know, still positive, still in a column of X's. Um, most of the foreign markets are have turned down again, although I think the EEM is turned down l- less than most. Um, the mid-cap and small-cap indexes have had positive, or column of Xs had positive weekly momentum. Small-cap a week less than everything. And then the QQQs, the equal weight, and the S&P 500 Trust, uh, which is capitalization weight, have all been positive for seven or eight weeks. You know, the equal weight uh, was interesting because it, it broke uh, a, a triple bottom. So um, – that was on uh, Wednesday, uh, the Fed meeting. So it be interesting to see if it holds the, the bullish support lines way down there. I mean, it's like 200 points down. So, uh, you know, we we don't have um, a, uh, you know, a, a sell signal or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I think it's closer to a sell signal than, it, you know, it was uh, a week ago. Now, we said uh, we were overbought. You know, we we could have a corrective phase a couple weeks ago, and I believe last week too, you know, Bob Dickey's been saying this is a place where we've been, uh, you know, we, we normally would pull back. Uh, and he's been quite, quite good. Uh, as I looked at all the bullish percents for all the groups too, and we, we were at seven, now we're at six. Uh, so stuff happens, but electric utilities, which were at 85% are now at 74. Uh, so I would wait on those. Waste Management and Semiconductors are at 65, um, so they're still okay. Aerospace is at 60, Wall Street's at 55, and Precious Metals are at 38. We do have three groups that are unfavored that are below 30. They are Drugs, Oil, and Oil Service. Now, I'd be looking at a couple of these names, Uh, the Computers, uh, Drugs, uh, Forest Paper Products, Healthcare, Household Goods, uh, Media, Restaurants and telephones uh, and uh, textiles and also transports—they're all in what is known as bull confirmed status, but they are not favored yet. So they're holding up there, but you know, you'd like to see them to go to a favored sector. And why do we look at favored sectors? Well, you know, if if you're in a favored sector and you buy the worst stock, you'll probably outperform the best stock in an unfavored sector. It's that simple. I mean, it, there's hundreds of studies on it, and uh, you just got to remember that. So. We want to stay with the favored sectors. That's why we only talk about the, you know, there's 40 sectors that we follow. We only talk about six. Uh, and our friends at Dorsey Wright are the keepers of those sectors. So uh, we always give them credit. You know, I, I looked and um, protect, uh, tele, uh, housing was, uh, went to unfavored this week. And t- uh, telephones or telephony went from uh, favored to average. And protection services, which have been unfavored, went to average. Uh, so, uh, you know, we did lose, it's kind of weird, we were hitting new highs, but we were hitting it with only four or five sectors being favored, uh, which is really kind of interesting. I, I looked at the foreign markets and um, I, I was just looking at emerging markets and it was just, you know, what some of these things are made of, uh, you know, like when you have the EFA, you know, what's in the EFA and, uh, you know, the more I looked at it, um, the more they have really spread these out a lot to a point where. Uh, you know I don't know uh you know some of them, it's probably better just to buy the country and and to follow the country if you're if you're charting it because some of the ones that have multiple countries in it are a little bit harder to track and i I think uh, you know one country goes south and you're you're in trouble so um that that's all I'll say about that subject and you know, like fixed income as expected the Fed reduced the federal funds rate um, the u s treasury five yield Yield index, the FVX, printed an X on its default chart, forming uh, but not breaking a triple top, which is interesting. Um, the index remains, you know, basically on a sell signal, so the yield's not going up anytime. Uh, but the U.S. Treasury ten-year index reversed into a column of those and now sits at 1.86. The 30-year Treasury index also reversed down, is now at 2.42. It was a 2.5.5 last week. Believe me, if you were long those bonds and you were on margin at uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, you just made yourself a fortune. <laughs> so the 10-year index has now broken another double bottom at 19.5. So uh, it's really interesting. You know, the bond market is just getting pummeled, and they're going long uh, in a big way. So, uh, look, within the asset class uh, group score, I, consider, uh, I continue to see leadership Uh, in the long-duration groups, the U.S. government long, uh, most notably. Um, And I'll just, you know, that's where the money's going, folks. As far as commodities, uh, crude oil has been positive for five weeks up until Thursday, and then it it died. Gold was positive up until Thursday. It died. Uh, Copper continues to to, uh, plug away. It's been positive for seven weeks now. I, I wonder, Friday was down pretty hard, so commodities got hit again. I think the CRB index may have hit a new low, uh, dating back to 1973. Isn't that interesting? The British pound this week, when, uh, with our our boy Boris getting involved, uh, hit a brand new low, um, and and now the the uh, Labour Party got uh, voted in Scotland. So it'd be really interesting. So now let's talk about relative strength. Uh, relative strength is uh, very positive. You want your your stock to have positive relative strength versus the market and its peers, and if it does, you're in great shape. Okay, uh, so we have we we list a, a buy signal, and some of these stocks, like I said, Danaher's been on a buy signal for a long, long time. Uh, Aon's been on you know five six years, but I mean, there's been a lot of stocks out there. So here's one that's had a been on a buy signal for a long time. Arch Capital Group, our friends at Marshfield have owned this stock for a long, long time. I don't think they're buying it anymore, but uh, Anika. Research, uh, by the way, both these showed up in my charts. Uh, it's been on a buy signal. looks pretty good. Diebold, which has been down in the dumps, blew the cover off the ball in their earnings this last week and and has has turned into a very interesting-looking chart, probably buy on weakness. Uh, Gentex, as in the automobile business, Meritage Homes, a lot of home builders starting to show up. Uh, Power Integration, that's a semiconductor equipment company. Uh, Sonic Automotive, Tempur-Sealy, uh, Knowles Corporation, and... Um, which is uh, in the telecommunications area in mean, five G play? I think uh, TransUnion, uh, ICOR Holdings, which is semiconductors, also uh, and also TransUnion, which is uh, the Transun- TransUnion TR, which is industrial goods. On the cell signal, this is where you got to check on things: Kimiko, uh Carbonite, iRobot, Next Gen Healthcare. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back. <laughs> Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in and you want to hear the rest of the show sometime, uh, you know, please uh, go to WHK 1420 AM. And uh, if when you get to their webpage, go to local podcasts and then stream uh, uh, roll down to Tim Hayes. By the way, you can go directly to my webpage. So if you want to get any of the information you hear on the show, like the the healthcare conference, the two days of the healthcare conference, the, the best ideas, our newsletter, dividend growth portfolio, whatever it may be, uh, just hit the contact me or email the, me on that one. But if if you also go down there to Tim Hayes, it has every show I have for like the last year and a half. Uh, so if you know you think I didn't say hey, be more careful a couple weekends ago or a week ago, whatever it was, I can't even remember. so I don't know how you can. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, just listen to a couple shows. Uh, you know, by the way, if if you missed the first half of the show and you want to hear the rest of it, it on Tuesday at noon. Uh, they will replay it. It'll be uh, put up on that list. So um, there you go. So now we talk about insiders, and uh, we talk about insiders quite regularly because they know their companies better than us. And when you have a stock that's down and out and you start to see insiders buy, you got to pay attention. When you see a stock hit a new high and the insiders are buying, you better pay attention. All right? So um, CNX Resources, which is in basic materials, uh, they're an independent oil and gas company basically, hit a new low. And one of the directors bought $1.277 million worth. Air Products, a big basic material company in the chemical area. The president, chairman, and CFO bought $4.57 million at a new high. That's a good sign, too. (laughs) All right. And uh, Verizon. Wow, we had a lot of people buy Verizon. Uh, We had the chairman and CEO buy 174,000 shares he uses options now so it'll be interesting to see how much he keeps how much he sells probably sell some to pay for taxes but uh, there's a whole list there's one two three four five six seven eight nine nine people on the uh list that uh that bought uh and you know that's that's a pretty uh, and there are big numbers too uh he bought seventy five thousand shares. The CFO, which we like to hear, uh, he bought uh, 52,000 shares. We had three other guys buy 45. So they all acquired them with, with options. So the question is, how much are they going to keep? Will they sell some just to pay for taxes? Or will they sell a lot to buy a, a Porsche Carrera? Who knows? But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Uh, when you see the chairman and CEO uh, buy, you should pay particular attention, like a, uh, you know, uh, Air Products, Get the chairman, president, and CEO buying at a new high. You should pay attention. Uh, now, <laughs> there's a couple things. There's a stock that's been down and out, and I, everybody hates it now because they they're trying to buy Allergan, but it's AbbVie, and AbbVie is a very well-run company, and it's got a great dividend yield. And this, they bought Allergan, and they they gap the stock down, uh, which I think is interesting because. Uh, you know, I think it adds a consistency to their earnings, okay? Now, back when this stock was $95 and went to 125 because they bought 20% of the float back and increased the dividend by 30%. Since then, it's been cut in half. Hmm, very interesting, huh? Look, you don't raise your dividend by 30%. You can't fake a dividend. You just can't. It's, it's impossible because believe me, They'll see it in the in the balance sheet, okay? And here they go out and they buy uh you know another company and and it's a company that's in the beauty area. Beauty never sleeps, but we had the the uh, uh, chief uh, uh chief I think science officer buy two million dollars and then a director buy six hundred sixty five and Trinity Industries, which is the railroads that move all the oil, uh, we had three in, one, one director by three times. Uh, by the way, he's a very bright guy. I know who he is, but I'm not going to tell him. You do your own homework. He bought 5.82 uh, million. Then he bought 4.7 million. Then he bought uh, 5.15 million. All right, at a new low. Uh, Cal Vista Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Albert Che. If you don't know who he is, you should. bought a million dollars worth. He bought 511 thousand. Then two days later, bought uh, 480 thousand. So uh, there we go. And uh, Post Holdings. Uh, Disappointed on their earnings. And the day they disappointed, the chairman of the board bought $134,000, uh, CEO and chairman. Uh, the CFO bought uh, $113,000. Uh, one direct, one, uh, no, these are all, uh, oh, he is a director, but he's uh, 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 he's uh, chief operating officer, bought fifty-five. And three more bought 93. Now, they bought them with their options, so they may sell a little bit to pay for uh, taxes, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, And then uh, Roku, we had a bunch of people use their options to buy stuff. Their general counsel bought uh, 48,000 and 19,000. Then the VP of platforms did the same thing. The CEO bought 287,720, and the CFO bought uh, 64,000. So uh, depending on if they sell whatever, Roku reports earnings next week. So that's really interesting that they're buying then. And Bristol-Myers, the first insider buy in five and a half years. A director bought 425,000 shares. Love to see changes in direction with, uh, in, in, uh, in, with investors. And then Amazon, Jeff Bezos sold $2.1 billion worth of stock last week. Uh, by the way, that's a parabolic chart, so uh, be careful with it. Um, Okay, so you know, last week we talked about uh, the indexes being in a a fairly, you know, flattish performance uh, for the last couple of years, and we said we view the the short term trend as toppy, uh, while the intermediate term is neutral and the long term trend is bullish, and and we still feel that way. Um, We are correcting a little bit, so if we correct, it might be a good time to put more money to work. I have two really good stocks, uh, plus a couple other names that I really like, but two stocks that I think could go up big. Um, and I'm starting to talk to my clients about it. I'm, I'm actually waiting for some weakness. Uh, gold broke out, uh, went from uh, 60% over oversold to 120% overbought. Broke out and then pulled back hard on, on the day the Fed made their announcement. But it held so here we have the dollar breakout to a new high and gold held so this negative yield thing may be what everybody's talking about uh, but you you got to pay attention gold looks like it could go to 1700 to me that's just you know that's not a prediction that's just my thoughts and uh, you know don't buy from a guy on the radio unless you're doing business with a guy on the radio so you can talk to him later long term um, is a very very bullish chart uh, that's all I got to say it's a tremendously uh, bullish chart. Uh, you know, I said last week that the support levels we thought on the Dow were around twenty six fifty, and then the next one would be about 2490, uh, 24,900. uh So I, you know, we're we're probably going to head there. We we broke through that uh, recent uh, support level on the on the S and P that we talked about last week. The Bank Index did not break through the triangle pattern, so it's 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 going to test the low again, uh, the low side. The Russells. The Russell held. So the smaller stock indexes, you know, which have lagged, uh, the performance of the large cap indices these years held. That's really interesting. Okay. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, so look, you know, we talked about the Dow Jones, uh, you know, in a new high and the steepness of the, uh, the move, uh, and the mixed action of a lot of groups, you know, we suggested that there could be a small short term peak coming into, into play. And, um, I guess the question is, you know, will we see um, uh, a, a new leadership emerge? I mean, they're hammering uh, uh, Amazon; they're they hammered uh, Apple. You know, they they were up and then they hammered them again. You know, will growth eventually give up and and value come through? And that's that I think is the million dollar question. And you know, look, uh, we did have oil uh, break down in a triangle pattern, right? to the top of the triangle. I mean, right to the downtrend line or the uptrend line. I'm sorry. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if it holds there uh, because, you know, in the past that it, uh, it's been a wild ride with oil. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. And and then we just talked about the S&P 500, uh, the move to all time highs. And, you know, we have this ascending chart that uh, keeps up. So, Look, I, I think there's a lot of good stocks out there. I think there's a lot of bad stocks out there. So um, the other thing I'll mention is emerging markets are still within this pattern, this basing pattern, which is good. Uh, China is not. China broke down a little bit uh, on Friday, so I uh, I, I bought a little bit at about the same price, so I probably have to hit the road. Uh, but I think, you know, the the key things are that gold held. So for you gold bugs out there, that's something to think about. And also think there's some stocks that are starting to emerge out of bases that look really, really good. And these stocks we haven't talked about. It's, it's groups that we haven't talked about in a long, long time. So what do you do now? Um, well, first of all, healthcare is one of those groups. And I think they're looking for healthcare stocks that where there are no drugs involved. Uh, and I got plenty of those two that look absolutely fantastic. Um, and, also there's, they're looking for devices that can lower healthcare costs. I've got two of those too. <laughs> so, uh, the healthcare conference has several of these names and some other names that I'm investigating even more and more now. Uh, that's a good place to to start. And if I were you, I'd go to Tim Hayes, Google or Bing, Tim Hayes radio and, uh, hit the contact me or email me and say, Hey, send me the healthcare conference information. Also, uh, you know, I'm not sending out the bond list cause I don't think it's a good time to be buying bonds. I'm not sending out the prime income list because I don't think it's time, good time to buy those. Although there's a couple names on there that I like. And I'll just say that, that, uh, uh, you have to call me to find out about, uh, but, uh, the dividend growth portfolio still looks outstanding. The best ideas look really, really good. Matter of fact, one of our new best ideas, uh, looks really, really good. And, uh, the ADR list has come down pretty drastically. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, that's a place where I might pay pretty close attention. So now look, if, if you'd like to talk about your portfolio, sit down and have a conference, uh, or talk about your retirement plans. So we do that too. Um, you know, one of the reasons we concentrate on your portfolio so much, and we're so risk adverse is that, you know, if you lose it, you can't gain it back. Okay. Um, the, the, uh, the question is, is it still good for the long term if it, if it pulls back? And look, there's been a lot of stocks that have, have gone down much further than most people anticipate, and the insiders have been wrong. They, they've, they've bought more than they ever had, and they've been wrong in some cases, in more cases than normal. So it's been an interesting time. But in the meantime, we'll, uh, we're, we're kind of risk-averse, so we'll, we'll look into that. Go, go to the webpage, Just contact me. We'll have coffee. In the meantime, have a great weekend. This is Smart Investor Show. My name's Tim Hayes.
1: Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com.